Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. be going to Pastor Gary, who will be preaching the sermon. Yes, good morning, church. All right, we're ready. Well, it's good to be back together again, and uh, because there's just so much that's going on in the world around us day to day, and so it's so good just to be able to come together and worship and, um, and just see each other's faces. I know, again, it's not physical, but at least we're able to come together in this manner and above all to hear the word of God because we need continue to hear from God and his word and we need his grace this morning and so we're welcome to everybody uh, in Jesus name. Now I want to consider a number of things this morning as we go into the word of God but I can't help I can't help but just look at what's going on around us in the world And there are literally, and I'm not just trying to sensationalize this. I'm not just trying to, um, you know, exaggerate a point. I'm just speaking here in reality what's going on around us because we are seeing rapid changes in our world today. I mean, they are happening happening quickly. We're seeing seismic changes. Uh, What I mean by that is we're seeing a strong and widespread impact of global initiatives and all that's going on around us as a result of various issues. And it's not just the coronavirus. If if that's, uh, again, if if that's all we can see, we're missing what's going on around us and the spiritual dynamics of what's happening in the world. Because we're seeing a seismic shift and it's happening on every front. Uh, whether it's social in terms of just the social degradation of society and sin that is beginning to prevail so predominantly in our faces and just the world's gone completely mad. And uh, and we can see political uh, shifts and changes that's going on even in our own nation. We're seeing dramatic shifts in policy and things going on around us that are aligning themselves with the global agenda. We're seeing also the economic uh, 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 changes that are going on around us, the level of debt that is unprecedented. And again, there's, uh, there's reasons uh, that is important because, again, the Bible says that the uh, borrower uh, is always slave to the lender. Don't forget that. And so there's a res- there's, uh, as a result of that, there's changes and shifting of things. People think that China is our biggest threat. But I tell you, there's greater threats than China that's going on around us at the moment. And so, again, there's so much that is happening. And so there's a a saying that is obviously in my mind and you've heard throughout this whole crisis, and that is this, that you can't let a good crisis go to waste. And really, that's what's happening with our uh, in our world today. There are people that have uh, there's an agenda that's going on behind everything. There are people uh, in high places that are taking opportunity, but above all, there's demonic spirit that's at work. And even beyond that. 
there's the fulfillment of God's purposes that are being executed. And so um, these are all the things that we are considering. But one of the things, again, is I've noticed is that we're dealing with the issue of big governments in the world that are uh, taking control, big government, nationally, globally. We're talking about big business uh, that is uh, jumping on board with all the, the global agenda. We're talking about big media that's all co converging together on the same page. Universally, we're seeing things that are happening um, uh, that is quite concerning and when it comes to free speech and just a whole array of things. And so why is it so? What is it that's going on? And so obviously, if you were to talk about it on a physical level, there are two, two factors that are driving what we're seeing. That, that is money and power. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so money is at the root of these things and power for those um, that are, it's associated with it. And so it's important this morning that we don't look to our politicians because politicians will let us down. Governments will let us down. And, uh, and more than that, if we focus on these things in, too much in, in terms of an overemphasis and listening to every wind that comes from political circles and sides of, uh, of politics, then we'll get deceived and we'll get caught up in the whirlwind of these things. And so it's important that uh, we, we remain at arm's length from some of the things that are going on around us. We have to continue to look to Jesus. We have to continue to look to the word of God because that is our hope this morning. And so it's so easy to get caught up in the fog of politics and uh, in light of all that's going on around us and trying to see where it's all heading and what's going on. And I'm, I, I'm one of those. I can be honest and say I sometimes I, I can be guilty of that. And so I've got to, by God's grace and through his spirit and through his word, I've got to step back. And so, and so uh, you know, there's all the conspiracies that are going on in the world. And I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I'm talking about conspiracies and the fact that there are real things happening. But again, they're not the focus. We've got to detach ourselves from these things this morning because what we need is we need a bird's eye view of what's going on rather than feeling as though we're, even though we're in it, we're not of it. And so to be able to rise above the circumstances, to be able to have a clear mind uh, of what's going on, we need a bird's eye view. And that's what the Bible gives us. The Bible gives us a bird's eye view of things. It enables us to see above the circumstances and look and see from God's perspective. And in doing so, have clear understanding and have trust and confidence in God and in his purposes. And so our minds are fixed upon Jesus this morning. So I want to preach a message that uh, I've called Who is in Charge? And it's found in Psalm number two. It's a familiar portion of text to many, and it's a short psalm, but it's a profound psalm. And really, it's always, rela it's always related to the day in which we live. But again, it is in this hour in which we are seeing so many things happening so rapidly. And so we want to look at Psalm two this morning. And we want to just continue to establish who is in charge and what is going on. Because our leaders across the world, they're coming together. They're having secret talks. And we're seeing the plotting and the scheming and conniving of global agendas that are setting themselves in place and people in high places who are seeking to achieve these things. I, Ella was just sharing this morning that um, she was talking about Bill Gates and how uh, there's uh, some kind of um, 
thing where I haven't listened to it, but he's referring to a chip. And, um, and, and again, we, we know we're rapidly moving towards, uh, through technology and other aspects, towards the end and the last days in which we live. And so, again, we've got to be able to discern the times, understand the times in which we live, because the world will have us believe that we're in a climate catastrophe. Where I mean, the, the climate is, uh, is if we don't intervene now, it's all going to die. We're all going to die. And uh, the, the lies that are being told and the, the catastrophe that they're putting forth, if we don't act now is the time and they, they're, they're steering forth this message, all the world leaders are on the same page in one accord speaking in these lines. But you see, what we're dealing with, there is no issue of climate change, church. That is just a smokescreen for, again, the agendas that are going on around us. And so let me say this from the onset. The world is not going to avoid a catastrophe. In fact, it's heading straight into a catastrophe because it's on a collision course with God this morning. And so we need to see it from that perspective. We need to understand what God says, because do men really think that they can save the earth, that they can change the weather? I mean, how crazy is the thinking of, of our generation? They're not God. There's only one God and there's only one who is in charge. And we're going to see that. And we're going to see what's really going on from the scriptures this morning as we look at Psalm number two. So let's look at the Psalm. Let's read it together. It's only 12 verses. And let's, uh, let's hear what God says. Praise the Lord. Verse one. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Amen. What a wonderful portion of text. When you read this, it just brings such joy to the heart, such comfort, such confidence, such assurance because when we're talking about who is in charge this morning, there's none other than God himself. What a succinct summary of what's going on in our world today and has always been going on. And remember, God always triumphs. God's will is always done, as we will see. But let's just establish for a moment just the psalm itself. We, let's break it up into three sections. In verse 1 to 3, 
we see uh, what is, we'll look at it in a moment, but we see um, the rejection of God's authority, the rejection of the Lord. And in verses 4 through to 9, we have uh, the Lord's rejection or the Lord's reaction, I should say, to what's going on in the world. And in verses 10 to 12, we have God's advice to all men relating to, to himself. And so this is, uh, uh, it's in that context that we'll consider it uh, this morning. And in doing so, let's just get an overview. Who wrote the psalm? Because it doesn't tell you he owned Psalm 2. But we do know from Acts chapter 4, where Peter, who quotes this particular psalm in relation to the context and circumstances that he's finding himself in, he refers to David as being the author. So it's a royal psalm. It's a royal psalm written about a, a royal king that is not just, a, a, and it doesn't relate to David himself. There's one far greater that is being referred to here, and it's the Messiah. It's the Lord's anointed one. It's the Lord's Christ. And so, um, and so the whole psalm is obviously prophetic, as we'll see. And it has, uh, uh, it deals with the Messiah. It deals with his ultimate triumph. It deals with the establishment of his kingdom on the earth which will happen in the millennial reign of Christ that we see prophetically uh, prophesied here in the Bible. And so the scripture, uh, this, this psalm, in effect, it has multiple fulfillments with an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus' second coming. And so it's interesting because that's why Peter himself quotes it. It doesn't just relate to Israel in its day, which it has its application. It doesn't just relate to the Messiah when he came in his first coming, of which it does but it finds its ultimate fulfillment in the second coming of Christ when he comes back to the earth to rule and to reign. So this is very important for us to, to understand. Now, I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 4 for a moment because Peter is talking about the Messiah and he's talking uh, and he's bearing witness. They're preaching the gospel in, in, in the context of what they're doing, having been commanded of the Lord to do so. And so uh, the context is that Peter and, uh, and the apostles, I think it's uh, John, who have been brought before the Sanhedrin. They've been arrested because they're preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so they're, they're out bearing witness to the, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they're standing before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is questioning them. They're threatening them. And in doing so, they forbid them to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, telling them that they're not allowed to come together. They're not allowed to speak in his name. And they're laying down these rules for them to ab abide by. But let's look at what the scripture says. I want you to uh, read with me from verse 25 to verse 28, where it, we find it. So Peter is offering up a prayer after uh, what's been happening before the Sanhedrin and having been let go. So they come together and they lift up their voice to God and they pray. In verse 25, it says, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, now here's the quote, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. See, Peter is referring to them now and the Sanhedrin and the leaders 
practice of, of his people, of the Jews in that day, and also by extension, the Romans who crucified the Lord. And so he's referring to the fact that these people in authority are putting themselves and setting themselves, they're raging against God and they're re rejecting God's authority and they're rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 27. It says, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So here they all are gathered together, as we just said. Now, listen to verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, think about that. You see, this gives us an understanding. Can you picture what's going on? Here they are in the thick of their opposition. It, uh, and, uh, and it's talking about um, uh, Christ even. Now, could you imagine now that they're looking, now that Peter and the apostles are looking back in hindsight, they can see the sovereignty of God. They can see clearly the hand of God. But remember, when they were in the thick of it and when they saw Jesus Christ himself crucified upon Calvary, though he had told them about his death and resurrection and given them the hope, we know that they all, were all scattered. And uh, even uh, there were some, uh, you know, who did not even believe, the Bible says. And yet now that uh, uh, they, they look looking back at the circumstances, they were able to see clearly that God was in absolute control. It looked like men were in control. It looked like men had prevailed. They had crucified the son of God. And yet in all of that, the scripture says that uh, in verse 28, that they did what whatever your hand and God's your purpose what you predetermined beforehand to be done. So everything that is playing itself out in the world at that moment concerning the cross and Christ and his death is exactly according to, to the, every dot and every T uh, uh, um, crossed. It is according to God's predetermined purpose. See, doesn't that bring us confidence? And this is exactly the point that uh, Peter is making here in the book of Acts as he reflects and draws upon and refers back to Psalm number two in acknowledging these things. And it sets forth for us the principle to understand that God is in charge. God is in control. It doesn't matter what is going on 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 the earth everything is happening and uh, according even this even the the devil is subject to every man every devil every demon in hell is subject to his predetermined purposes and had the rulers of this age knew they would never have scripture says they would never have crucified the lord of glory <laughs> and he triumphed jesus triumphed in his death and resurrection hallelujah and he made a public spectacle of them god is in charge church and we are to draw great comfort and great confidence as we observe this and see this in the scripture and in the day in which we live. In the same way, we talk about the second coming of Christ, not only in terms of the rapture and his rescue of us, we are waiting for that day, praise the Lord. We will not face the wrath of God. But even so, the Bible says in light of what's coming upon the earth, the great tribulation, and in terms of God's wrath being poured out upon man as they uh, ultimately, Jesus Christ will return to earth. As according, again, everything will work in conjunction to his will and purposes, and Christ will be glorified. And so with that foundational understanding this morning, 
Let's read from verse 1 to 3 of Psalm number 2. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You see, are there conspiracies this morning? You bet there are conspiracies. There's big conspiracies out there. There are people in high places that are are setting themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. And that's what this battle is all about. If we just see it in light of ourselves, we're missing the whole point. We don't have a bird's eye view. We've got to see above the circumstances. We've got to see through God's eyes and through his word. And so, yes, we understand the scripture talks about the coming of the lawless one. The Antichrist uh, uh, will, will come forth at a particular time in the near future. And so, again, all of these things uh, are happening in the world in which we live. The world has always actively rebelled against God, and it continues to do so in terms of rebelling against him and his plan. Now, a couple of things I want to highlight here from the, from the psalm. In its first, in, I want to consider firstly that the nations and the rulers are, are, are in, not just in rebellion in the general sense against God himself, but also what's being highlighted here is that the nations and the rulers of the world are in constant and active uh, opposition and, and antagonism of the nation of Israel. This is important. And that's what this psalm is also referring to, because the nations are raging. Israel has always been under attack because Israel was a nation that was birthed by God. Israel was the nation that has been chosen by God to fulfill his purpose and his promises. And obviously, in terms of bringing forth the seed, which is Jesus Christ, which we've already seen. But still, God has a plan and a purpose for Israel that is yet to be fulfilled in the latter days, which again, the and so therefore, as a result of that, we see the nations of the earth in constant opposition to Israel and, and, uh, and God's plan and purpose for Israel. But more than that, as a, there's an acknowledgement of Israel as a nation, it by extension now leads to the Messiah himself, the Christ, the Lord and Christ, because Jesus was to become, was to come through the seed of the woman. He was to come through uh, the nation of Israel. He was come to come through the seed of David. And so you see the specifics, the specificness of this, and the devil was always attacking that. But you see, God always triumphed, and he ultimately did. They even The devil thought that he destroyed the line of the kings, and yet God had outwitted him through, through the seed of Nathan by which uh, Jesus uh, came. And so, again, there's so much that's related to all of this. But we must understand that God has an ultimate plan for his Christ, and it will be fulfilled. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? This word, the nations. It's the uh, Hebrew word where we get the word goyim or Gentiles, all those that are non-Jews. And so, again, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the non-Jews rage against uh, uh, the people of God? Why do they um, uh, rage against God himself? And why do they rage against his son? And so we see that the Gentile world is in opposition. That's why we see across the world anti-Semitism at work in many different ways across the world, and we've seen it in the past. But the nations are raging. 
And so, um, so the, 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 the Gentile nations are, are, are in opposition to God because they are bound in their false worship and their idolatry and their false religions and all that is associated with it. And they are raging. That is, they're not passive in their rejection of God. They are raging against him. They are actively resisting him. And the Bible says they are plotting vain a vain thing. In other words, they, as they come together and collude and consult one another, uh, uh, the Bible says that their plans are empty. It's worthless. It actually will come to no purpose. And in verse 2, it becomes more specific now that other than the Gentiles in general, but now he refers to the kings of the earth themselves and the rulers. He's speaking now to the leaders, the kings and rulers of the earth. They set themselves, they take counsel together, they consult and they collude against who? Against the Lord and against his Christ. It hasn't changed and it won't change. And so this is what they are up to. They do not want to submit to God. They are rejecting his authority. That's why in verse 3 it says, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords from us. They don't want to be under the rulership of God. They don't want to be subject to God's authority. They don't want to submit to him and obey him. No, they want to be gods themselves. They want to set themselves up as rulers and as authorities. And so they want to break away from the shackles of God's governance in their lives and establish their own. But hasn't it always been that way? I mean, right from the, the beginning in the garden, wasn't this what lies behind uh, Adam and Eve and their sin? You shall be as gods. And so, again, we see it come. <coughs> excuse me. We see right there in the garden. <clears throat> and it's something that we observe right throughout the Bible itself even in the book of genesis look at the um the tower of babel i mean here we have after the sinners enter the world and men's rebellion against god is such that the wickedness of men is great and uh, and so they come together as one being in one language and they say look you know what let's build ourselves a tower let's establish our own sovereignty on the earth let, let us be in control and let us be the authority and the bible says that god saw it and he came down and he and he judged them and uh and obviously he um separated them by confusing them in their languages but again man plots and god always overrides god's in charge you see you can see this in the book of revelation chapter 17 because again it talks about babylon the great and so the spirit of babylon is alive and well well, even from Babel, even though God destroyed it then in the physical sense, the spirit of Babylon and that spirit that is at work is, has been at work right throughout uh, since, the, since the fall and even until now and ultimately into the future and to uh, in Revelation 19 when that great harlot uh, and uh, the, the Babylon the great will be judged and that judgment will be dramatic and it will be swift according to the scriptures. But what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the false religions of the world. We're dealing with um, these uh, false religions that set themselves up against God. Where Roman Catholicism and all that it's associated with it and the popes to think that they are in place of Christ and that somehow they exercise some level of authority. No, 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 not at all. They plot vain things, but God is in charge. Or even in, in the modern-day United Nations, 
People in the world see the United Nations and their affiliates all working together and they think that they're working together for the common good of man. But you see the spirit and religion of humanism is clearly at work and the United Nations falls right into that category that we're dealing with here in verses 1 to 3. We're dealing with a people who hate God, a people who want to set up their own authority. That's why they want to set up a one-world government. That's why they want to set up universal control of uh, nations and individuals and come that we would be subjected to them. And so they want power. They want money. They want to be worshipped. And that's what the whole one-world government is about. The United Nations is not a, a godly organisation. It is anti-Christ. And its whole emphasis is humanism. And it's deeply, deeply uh, um, flawed and evil. And it's ultimately against the Lord and his Christ. And it is against the nation of Israel, if, if you understand it itself. And it's against every individual, ultimately, who wants to love and serve the Lord. And so Psalm 2 deals with this reality and, how, and what's going on with the nations of the world. And we just see that. But this brings us now to the second part from verse four. And so we want to look at God's reaction to man's schemes, God's reactions to the plottings of men, because we see it clearly on display. And so, you know, sometimes people have asked the question is, does God have a sense of humor? And you know what? He does. He, and it's quite interesting to see when he uses it. And so it's right here that we find in verse four, because look at this, these words, you know, it says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Think about that. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God looks at puny little men. God, I mean, look how big the universe is just to the natural mind. And, and, and just look at the vastness of all the universe. And the heavens is his throne, the earth is his footstool. And little, little man is a speck of dust, somehow thinks he's in control. The absurdity, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. That man, what is man that he would think of himself in this way? And God looks at this and he finds it amusing. He mocks that word, he who sits in the heavens, not just laughs as in humour, but he laughs as mocking and says, who do you think you are? Do you really think that you can override me? Do you really think that you can uh, um, um, exercise authority over my purposes? And so the, the word in the Hebrew means to play, to make merry, to mock. And so God this looks at all that's going on. He looks at their plotting. He sees their schemes. And he just looks, see who sits in the heavens laughs because God will outwit them and God will override them and God will cause them in his sovereignty to play exactly right into his plan and purpose. Amen. Men will never outwit God. Even Pharaoh, he thought he was in charge in Egypt. And then uh, God says to him, listen, uh, Pharaoh, I raised you up for this purpose that I may show my glory through you to all the earth you see god works through the, the the extreme wickedness and evil of man and he and through that he glorifies himself over and over and over you see it in nebuchadnezzar 
God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, gave him such rulership and kingdoms over, over the whole earth. And therefore, he thought that he was in control. He thought he was the ultimate authority. He thought he was God. But God had given him that authority. And when he thought that it was all himself, God says, I'll show you who's in charge. And he makes Nebuchadnezzar eat the grass and uh, live outside like, a, like an animal for seven years until he's humbled and comes to himself. And he realizes, you know what? God's in charge. I'm not. That's how it works. That's how it has been and always will be. And so it's important to understand this when we look at what lies ahead in prophecy. You know, we talk about the ten, uh, the ten horns and the ten kings that uh, will rise and the rise of the Antichrist that is to come. All of these things are all subject to God's authority and God's ultimate plan. Remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2? And it talks about the kingdoms of the world and Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And then you had the uh, the breastplate of iron and the waist of bronze, which represented the Greek uh, empire there. And then it wrote the Roman empire and so forth. But at the end of that vision, there was the ten toes, again, which is symbolic of the end, because we are at that stage in the, in the process of time and history. We are at the end. And what is it that happens? There's a big rock that's cut out and that rock comes and smashes into that whole statue and everything that man thought he had achieved is brought to zilch zero nothing because god is in charge amen look at verse four it says um uh, he who sits in the heavens you know god's not alarmed he sits in the heavens amen he's not restless he's not confused he's not anxious He's not moved by these things. He sits on his throne and whatever he says will happen. And so we need to take comfort from that. We need to see that. We need to draw confidence of that. And in verse 5, it says, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and, his dist and, and distress them in his deep pleasure. You see, God will respond to, to man and he will judge him in his wrath, as we see again revealed in Scripture. He will prevail and his purposes will be fulfilled look at verse six yet i have set my king on my holy hill of zion and so again this is a declaration and what a declaration it is because one it is prophetic it is prophetic because it's a direct reference to jesus christ himself i've set my king on my holy hill of zion Verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You see, we're dealing with Christ, the son of God. And we're dealing with the fact when Christ came into the world and, uh, and then on the day in which he was baptized and the spirit of God came upon him and said that a voice came from heaven saying today, uh, uh, you are my beloved son. Today I have begotten you. And so we see here the fulfillment of these things. So we're talking about who's the son. It's Christ. There's a, this prophetic utterance here concerning the Lord's anointed and the Christ. And God will sit and God has. Yet I have set my king. Because Jesus is in charge, church, even now on my holy hill of Zion. But we'll get back to that, obviously, and there's some prophetic significance. But I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You know, Israel 
when you go, let's go now back now to the time of it, Jesus himself and his ministry. You understand how uh, he came for his own, but his own did not receive him. And so here you have Jesus, the son of God. God is incarnated. He's amongst his people. He's come. This is a fulfillment of everything he's promised. And yet they have rejected their Messiah. Actually, in actual fact, Jesus gave him a parable. And uh, that parable spoke about uh, the, the, the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard. And they said, well, here's the son. Let us kill him. And then we can take possession of the vineyard. So in, in rejecting the son and killing the son, the, rule, the rulers of the Jews thought they would establish control and then they could have utter control for themselves. But you see how foolish they were because in 70 AD, Jesus himself had said prophetically prior to this, he said that on, uh, the, the concerning the temple, there will not be one stone left unturned. And this was related to the ultimate judgment upon the nation for their rejection of the Messiah. And God destroyed and he overturned every stone of that temple was destroyed in the destruction of the temple and of the city in 70 AD because you cannot and will not override the purposes of God. In actual fact, he will pour out his wrath and his judgment and he will destroy. That is how it works over and over again. Now, that's not to say that God is finished with Israel. If you understand the Bible, you know that God has a prophetic plan and place for Israel as a nation. And Jesus said those words, you will not be blessed until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And though now they are in rejection of their Messiah, there's coming a time uh, ahead when they will believe, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will believe in him and they will be saved according to the remnant that the Bible speaks about. But see, look at verse 8 and verse 9, speaking to the son. He says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. That's what Jesus is going to receive. When he comes back, the nations will be his inheritance and the ends of the earth will be his possession. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And that's why Jerusalem is so critical in all that's going on in the world today. And then in verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron. And you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. God will dash them to, uh, he will break them like with a rod of iron. Picture that. I mean, see, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a, as a lamb that's led to the slaughter. He's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah and as a king. And as a, uh, and as a king, he will devour his enemy and he will destroy those nations, as the Bible tells us with a rod of iron, and he will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. He'll just break them to pieces at liberty and at will. Jesus is coming back, church. And so in light of all of this, it brings us to verse number 10, which is the third part of the psalm that I wanted to focus on. Because we have uh, the man's res response and rejection of God's authority. We have the Lord's reaction to it, which we've just considered. And now we have God's advice to all men to take serious. That is to be taken seriously this morning. And so because, you know, the Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the desire of God. And we find that expressed in verse 10 to 12, where God is reaching out in his grace. He's appealing to men and he's reasoning with them and uh, uh, to, to, to turn their attention to him. So let's look at verse 10. 
Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. You see, God says, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, O kings. In other words, he says, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to my words of warning. Listen to my words of appeal to you. And that's why, and he says, uh, um, be wise, O kings. Don't be foolish and don't be so foolish as to think that you're in control, that you will rule. But be instructed and serve the Lord with fear. Doesn't the Bible tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge? Fear God. In all things, we are called to fear God. And that's the call to the, to the rulers and to the judges and to the leaders of this world and to the kings of the earth. Fear God. Because if you don't fear God now, you will fear him later. And he will pour out his wrath and his judgment upon you. And so... Obviously, it's not just a word to the rulers and the kings of the earth. It's a, it's, it's a word to all men, all the Gentiles, all the Jews who need the Messiah, who need to be saved. Because if not, then they will perish. And that's the word of the Lord. That's why at verse 12, it says, kiss the son or else or lest he be angry. Kiss the son. Otherwise, his anger will be aroused against you. Kiss the sun. Why kiss the sun? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? Kiss the sun or kissing the sun means to submit to him, to obey him and to love him and to serve him. That's what we are all called to do. Kiss the sun, surrender, get his hand and kiss his hand in an act of submission and worship and an acknowledgement that you are the king of kings, you are the Lord of lords, that your will will prevail according to your plan and purposes. Submit to God. That's what God's calling all men to do this morning. Submit to him. Because, you know, the reality is this church, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me read it to you because I love it in the way it's portrayed in Philippians 2, verse 8. Talking about Jesus, him and being found in appearance as a man. You see, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He, he, he humbled himself to, to such a degree. But listen to verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You see, that's the reality. Every knee will bow. Kiss the son now, lest he be angry, because when you face him, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And this is what men needs to understand, that they will submit to the Lord. 
that they will submit to the king, whether it's in destruction and death and hell or whether it's in salvation and redemption this morning, all men will submit to the king of kings. And rather we should be those that would not resist him, but be those that would submit to him and believe on him. Because when he's angry with the wicked, when he pours out his wrath upon the earth, men will be consumed, as the scripture tells us. Now let us look at the last words in this particular psalm this morning. Because in light of everything we've looked at, it closes with these words. And it would be foolish of us not to look at them because it says, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Amen. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. See, here's the gospel right here. This is the gospel in terms of the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have the Messiah who, who, yes, he will rule and reign. Yes, he will come. You see, that's why Israel rejected uh, the Messiah in the first instance, because they were looking for a political leader. They were looking for someone that was going to liberate them and was going to rule and reign, and they were going to rule and reign with him. But you said they didn't understand. The, uh, the, 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 the purpose of his first coming and rejected him. And so now we have the gospel of Jesus Christ that still extends to all men. Trust in the Lord and put, uh, blessed are those who put their trust in him because you know why? We won't be subject to his wrath. We've passed from death into life. We've received an eternal inheritance. We will receive the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for that trumpet to blow. We're waiting for the Lord to come and take us home. And we are trusting him for all of these things this morning. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And we have done so. And we are safe. And we are secure. We won't be subjected to any of this. But to the rest, oh, fear God for what's coming upon the earth you know the lord willing um i want to consider possibly when we next come together maybe psalm number three because it's directly related to psalm two and the human element that's associated with what we're going through and what lies ahead and so lord willing we'll consider that at a later date but we are those that trust in the lord this morning and I want us to be encouraged. I want us to have a bird's eye view. I want us to see things from God's perspective as revealed to us here in Psalm number two. And I want to close just with a couple of scriptures this morning. In Psalm, uh, sorry, Proverbs 19, verse 21, the Bible says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. There are many plans, in <clears throat> many schemes. There's much that's going on in the world around us. But you see, it doesn't matter. God's counsel, that will stand. And, in, 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 and it's, I just thought about that word stand this morning. I, my mind was drawn to Jesus' words or the words here in, 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 the, um, in verse 6. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You see, the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. He's going to set foot on the earth. He's going to stand on his holy hill. 
And in Zion, he will reign and he will rule from the city of Jerusalem. Listen to the words of Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. It says these words, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, just as we've been looking at, as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west in a great earthquake. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, earthquakes? God's in control. Just remember that. Who's in charge? And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. But you see, what we're dealing with is that his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ is going to take up the throne of David. He's going to sit and he's going to rule and reign from Zion, from Jerusalem, the city of God. And he's going, to, he's going to crush those nations with a rod of iron and he's going to rule and reign for the, for the millennium for 1,000 years, as the Bible tells us. Jesus is coming, church. Jesus wins. And remember, in his victory, we have victory. We will win because when Jesus comes, what does the Bible tell us? We, he comes with his saints. We will come back with the Lord. Hallelujah. We win. We will triumph because we've trusted in him. God bless you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the, the strength and the encouragement that comes. God, uh, that you are in charge. You are in control, oh Lord. And let us remember these things because we feel the effects of everything that's going on around us. But nevertheless, Lord, as your word says, we are to look up for our redemption draws near. I pray your grace upon each and every hearer this morning. Bless your people. Bless your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.